Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. Hey, Jason. Hey, Stephen. I, I, I am Jason Snell. I am your co-host. Stephen Hackett is my co-host. Hello. <laughs> Hi. I belong to the listeners and you belong to me, apparently, in the way I described it there. Confusing. We're only four episodes in. It's early yet. It's, it, there's a lot of moving parts in our intro still. Yeah, we. This is so. Um, as we go, we are uh, defining sort of what the different kinds of episodes we do. We we do those uh, those primer episodes, like we did about the moon. We've got sort of episodes about what's going on in space, and there's always a lot of stuff going on in space. And then we uh, an episode that a type that we haven't had before, but we have today, is interviews where we're going to talk to interesting people who are involved in space related stuff. So later on in this show, we're going to be joined by Rachel Binks, who is a data visualizer at uh, Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, and she is working with telemetry from a whole lot of space vehicles uh, and uh, building tools to make them uh, to make the the people on the ground who work with those vehicles be able to understand what is happening in space or on Mars or elsewhere. Uh, which because on Mars isn't technically in space, I suppose, right? It's on Mars, it's not floating around. I would say it's on, yeah, it's on Mars. Sure, it's spacey, but it's you know it got, it's got its own planet. <laughs> it's on a planet. If 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 Mars, if being on Mars is is being in space, we're all in space. I think. I don't want to be you know um, Earth centric here. You just blew my mind, Jason. I, I yeah. Anyway, so Rachel's coming uh, up in a little bit and is going to talk to us about what she's doing at JPL. But first, we've got some stuff that we always have, uh, which is like things that are going on and uh, and. Uh, Follow up and all that. Not a lot of follow up this time. Just yeah, uh, yeah, lots of news. I put it in our document as pre-interview stuff, but it is sort of follow up ish. But you know, and I feel like it's been a recurring theme. But we have to stop by Pluto Corner. Pluto, uh, Woo, uh, Pluto. Pluto Corner. It, it takes a long time to get to Pluto Corner. You know, it, it does. A, a very there, long time. Yeah, you're only there for a couple of days, and then it's over. And then boom! I am I, on my desktop right now with my Mac as we talk. I am looking at a spectacular image of pluto uh so high resolution that even on my 5k imac it cannot all mm-hmm. be displayed yeah it's it's my wallpaper on, uh, on my machine as well it's it's a beautiful image uh there'll be a link in the show notes uh it's a new and i'm, I'm doing air quotes jason you can't see me but i'm doing them color uh image <sighs> uh from pluto and it's it's Three images, the way I read it, it's three images overlaid with a blue filter, a red filter, and then a near-infrared filter. Yeah. Um, so and it's extra, like, weird, has this weird kind of red cast to it that is not something you'd see with the naked eye. Right. Unless you had an infrared bionic eye, which, I mean, I'm not here to judge. If you have that, that's really awesome. Chances are, if you're flying by Pluto and giving it the eye, you may have bionic parts. It's true. Uh, so really, a really great image. I feel like every time we talk about a Pluto image, the newest one is the most amazing. I yeah. think it's definitely true in this case. Yeah, this is, this is. I remember when they, they had the full uh, planetary view of Pluto the first time, and I was like, oh, I want to make that a desktop picture, but it's not very high resolution. It's like, well, this one, it is spectacularly high resolution. It's amazing, the detail. Yeah, it's like 8,000 by 8,000 pixels. I made the mistake of trying to open it on my iPhone this morning in like an RSS client, and the RSS client just crashed. It's like, I can't do it. Too many pixels. Yep. But it's super great. That um, text image of the of the guy uh, jumping out the window of the building saying, Pluto image is too large. Thank you. 
<laughs> it's it is beautiful. The relief of because uh, you've got um, the the mountains at the edges where it's sort of like because this is a full on sun view, so it's right you know as the, as the spacecraft is headed toward Pluto, and and so you've got places where it's uh, it's uh, I guess. I don't know the rotation here. It's sunrise or it's sunset, but it's 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 uh, you get this terrain relief um, on the image. It's to the right of the of the um, the Tombaugh Reggio, the, the the heart, and it is just these little details. It's amazing how much how much detail we 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 are seeing of of Pluto. It's pretty great. Plus the Tombaugh Reggio, the the heart itself. Um, and the left side of it, especially the smoothness of it. And then there are also some pictures that show that it's not actually smooth. It's this very fine, detailed kind of terrain that's happening there. But compared to the rest of the planet, it's this just giant kind of smooth wash of of ice. It looks like um, just beautiful stuff. Yeah, the, there's this there's this link in the show notes as well about uh, what they're calling a, a snakeskin image. Mm. Um, where again from far out it looks smooth but you get up close to it and it, it is just this um very intricate very uh, complicated really terrain yeah where it's it's all these little ridges and it looks like i mean snake skins are really good adjective for it. it it looks very much like it's just all these little overlapping tiles almost that sort of fit in together and there's um I could imagine if you ran your if you had a giant hand and you were running your hand over it, you know, it would feel rough under your fingers. But um, it's really uh, amazing how much these images are telling us and how how detailed this place is. Where we thought it was just going to be a frozen rock, and it is uh, really a vibrant, interesting place. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it may still be a frozen rock, but it is a uh, it is way more than that, right? I mean, this is I think what what it tells us is every time that we say, oh well, you know. It's a, it's, it's a, it's Pluto or it's some other place in the solar system. It's going to be, we, we know, you know, we know what everything about everything, right? We're, we're good. We don't need to see any of this stuff. And every time you see something in more detail in the solar system, you go, whoa, we don't, you know, what is this? We don't even know. The scientists don't even understand what is happening here. Like every picture that we get is like that. It seems right. Uh, Pluto and Pluto is telling us that lesson too. Even with Pluto, we're like, well, you know, it's probably not going to be. You know, it'll be interesting this way, but maybe not that way. And then they get there and the and everybody's like, yeah, this is way more interesting than we thought. And we don't understand what we're seeing. And as we've said, scientists love it when they don't understand what they're seeing because then they get to figure it out. Pluto's full of that. Pluto's <laughs> full of that. It's great. Um, but we should move on from Pluto. We should return yeah. to the inner solar system because we have Warm a couple ourselves. happy birthdays to wish. Oh. To some Mars hardware. So it's... it's um. Uh, first up, we have the India-Mars Orbiter Mission, uh, which is, it's interesting. I, I knew India had an orbiter uh, at Mars, but I, until preparing for this, I didn't know really all that much about it. It's really, uh, the way that it's described is more of a technical demonstration of um, India's space program than than an actual scientific discovery. So they, they um, very much like, like a like we did, uh, and and what uh, Russia did, of you know, hey, we're going to send unmanned craft. We're going to orbit the Earth with a with an animal. We're going to do all these things, building the building blocks, right, to something bigger. Right. Um, that's where India is today with this this Mars orbiter, and it's, it's a year old, which is super exciting. It's been and, in orbit around uh, around Mars for yes. a year, right? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not really. I, I think if you are a Mars, a piece of Mars, Mars hardware. That you're not really born till you get there. 
All right. All right. I, I didn't I didn't know how Mars Mars birthdays worked. Well, it's for my whole and, birthday gimmick to work the kind of estimate case. <laughs> but you're measuring it by Earth years and not Mars years. It's it's all very complicated. I have a whole okay. diagram. Okay, I I will. I'm just gonna go on faith. I think it's fun. It, it's funny that they say it's a technology demonstration. I kind of feel like that's almost a little apologetic, which seems like it's not necessary to me. But um, because you know the equipment on this craft, there are other spaceships who have and are still circling Mars who who have uh high, higher level instruments and cameras and can take higher quality things. And I think they're probably like, well, yeah, we're, we're not breaking any new ground here. We're just t- testing it out. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think there's anything to apologize for. India uh, sent a probe to Mars and it's orbiting and taking pictures. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's pretty um, awesome. <laughs> that's, I think that's a job, you know, job well done. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go next. But uh, that is, uh, it's cool. And there's, uh, there's some pictures and stuff that they, uh, that uh, they posted. They did a little like best of, uh, best of, uh, of mom, Mars orbiter mission. Um, on uh, on the India uh, space program website. Yep, and it's um, is it, uh, like you said, India is is a this is super cool. But they are working on new stuff. They're currently working on a crewed uh, orbital vehicle uh, to put. Um, uh, you know, we had that thing a couple weeks ago about what what astronauts are called from different countries, and I don't know what Indias are called. So it's a shame on me. Um, but they're working on on a manned. Uh, crewed vehicle which is is exciting uh anytime i think we can have more opportunity for exploration uh including in low earth orbit it's it's a it's a plus in my book so yeah absolutely uh not to be left out nasa's own uh maven uh also a a year in orbit at the red planet one earth year (laughs) one earth year it's like i said it's often confusing okay um the first spacecraft dedicated to understanding Mars' upper atmosphere. You know, so much mm-hmm. of what we've done has been on the surface and sort of uh, trying to understand the topography of Mars, but this is looking specifically at the atmosphere. It's pretty neat. And there's um, there's a link uh, over on NASA's site uh, talking about some of the stuff they've discovered and what they've been up to with that with that spacecraft. It, it, this is the thing that... Um that I love, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. I, I love about our exploration of Mars right now is that, you know, a lot of the solar system, especially the outer solar system, it's very hard to get there. And so you, um, you know, what you have to be multi-purpose or you have to fly by because you're going too fast. I mean, but Mars is close enough and interesting enough that we've just got all sorts of stuff parked around there. Like there's a, they could have a little party. And right, because we've got stuff on the ground and we've got a bunch of stuff in orbit and we've got, you know, we've got, uh, we've got orbiters that, that are relaying messages from the surface back to earth. So they're basically acting like communication satellites. You know, it's the amount of human hardware, uh, hanging around Mars is pretty amazing. And I, I think that's, I think that's really cool that, that we have gotten to know it so well. Um, it, 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 for me, that like points the direction forward. How you know eventually we're not going to be talking about one shot, uh, you know, one shot missions to places. We're gonna we're gonna get um, one of the next steps in this is to is to do even more of what what happened with Galileo and what's happened with Cassini, where you've got one one probe that just kind of hangs out for a long time. You're gonna end up with multiple vehicles in orbit around planets and moons and things, doing all sorts of different things. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. And Mars is the is the example right now. Yeah, I think Maven's a good example of when you have that sort of capability, you can specialize, 
right? Yeah, so, yeah. Something like Cassini, it can do a lot of things, but it's really kind of doing one big thing, right? It's it's capturing images. Right, it has um, to do all of those different th- tasks, whereas right. Maven can just be free to be about, you know, it's about the atmosphere of Mars and learning about the atmosphere of Mars. It doesn't need to be about anything else, and that's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, it, it it changes our learning from a... Uh, a serial experience to a parallel one where we have, you know, we can start to piece together information from the surface, from Maven, from all these things and build a more complete picture as opposed to um, sort of a more single vision of, of a place. Yeah, it's cool. It's great. Very cool. Uh, Jason, we've had a lot of people, a lot of people write us uh, about the Martian, which uh, we've spoken about before. You guys did an episode on the comparable about the book. That's actually how I discovered the book. Um, and uh, this tweet um, uh, from the space station from Scott Kelly spoke about uh, part of the one-year mission. Uh, it's really, it might be my favorite tweet of the last couple of weeks because <laughs> it's, a, it's a picture of uh, four space station crew members watching the Martian while on the space station. Yeah, it's, it's real astronauts in space watching fake astronauts in a movie have trouble it's not like a happy i mean uh, right. it's not it's not like on an airline where they they like i was on an airline and i was watching world war z and there's a there's a plane crash scene and that's it, no in, good in the airline version it's basically like he's on the plane and then he's on the ground what happened we don't know because we took that part <laughs> out right because we don't want to frighten people here yeah. you know there's space accidents that happen in the movie but it's okay these 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 guys are professionals <laughs> these yeah. astronauts and they 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 know that it's just a movie they're not going to get too upset about it but it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. And so the the movie is out uh, very soon. I think what next weekend? Um, yeah, I think it's October second, maybe. Yeah, and so we uh, we're working on what we're gonna do uh, about the movie. Um, we might talk about it here. We might talk about it on a future episode. The comparable, not sure yet, but we will definitely right uh, share our thoughts somewhere about the film. And right, uh, so if look- we don't do it here, we will point you on the next episode to. I think either in our next episode we'll talk about the Martian, or in the next episode we'll tell you where you can hear us talking about the Martian. Perfect. Because one one of those one of those things is going to happen. Uh, maybe both, in fact. But um, so I we encourage that's I guess your homework out there. And if you're listening to this podcast, why would you not go see the Martian? Yeah. Um, I know people who've seen it who say that it's very good. Uh, the book is good, and um, you know it it manages to be dramatic. I would say it's dramatic in in maybe not an Apollo 13 way where it's exactly more or less what happened. But still, it's that style where it is not a completely wild leap of faith. Um, it, it's it's pretty realistic-ish about the scenario in a way that um, a lot of uh, sci-fi movies that are a lot of fun are not. So, uh, and it's and, and you know, and it's set in our near future, which also is is a, a change from your your Star Treks and your Star Wars that are far, far away or way in the future. This is. Uh, you know, this is a a vision for what a you know a Mars a series of Mars missions would be like, and then what if there was an accident, and how would they respond? So definitely, I would say check it out, and we will be checking it out, and uh, we've made a pact, and uh, we'll talk about it soon. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that's so interesting to me is not only the the scientific stuff in the book being accurate, but the technology, um, like, all the stuff, or at least most of the stuff that is discussed and is used in the is used in the film is real, right? Like it's not, like you said, <laughs> Star Trek, like we don't have a transporter, but we do have vehicles that you can drive around on Mars. And and there's this interesting article we'll link to about technologies in the Martian that are uh, underway at NASA and at other agencies. And it, that, that 
that really roots the book and I think will root the movie, like you said, in sort of a more realistic fashion as opposed to something that is, is pure sci-fi or pure fantasy. Well, so uh, we should probably move on and talk to our guest. Uh, do, we have a, uh, do we have a sponsor to talk about before we get there? Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about our first sponsor. Jason, do you want to tell us about uh, Wobbleworks? Yes, that's right, Stephen. Wobbleworks is the maker of Luminos, the amazing space simulator for iPad, iPhone, and Apple Watch. It's got something for every astronomy enthusiast. You can not only hold up your device to identify your favorite sky objects that's great when you go outside and say, I think that's Jupiter. And your friends say, well, you think, and then you hold it up and you go, see, it's Jupiter. But with a tap, you can then launch through space and visit those objects firsthand. So now your demo uh, includes pictures of Jupiter and not just nodding and saying, yep, I was right, that was Jupiter. Luminos recreates the solar system accurately in 3D, and it's all there right in the palm of your hand. Any astronomy feature that you might want is already in Luminos. Trust me, there are detailed planet and moon maps tens of thousands of asteroids and comets, millions of stars, the largest deep space image catalog on mobile, wireless telescope controls, and much more. You can even view live sky charts on your Apple Watch. That's right. Luminos is the flagship app from Wobbleworks, which is a family business. John and Brian have more than 50 years of hardware and software experience between them, from small startups to large enterprises such as Apple, Microsoft, and Oracle. Luminos has been in development for more than a decade and on the App Store for almost five years. One price, no paid upgrades, no in-app purchases. They're in their fifth year providing free feature updates to Luminos. And Wobbleworks is excited to announce the main feature of their next free update, Luminos 9. In this release, users will be able to download the largest star catalogs available on mobile right into the app, up to 113 million stars. Luminos 9 will also be bringing big enhancements for iOS 9 when it is released in October. So stay tuned for that and check out Luminos at Wobbleworks.com. And thank you to Wobbleworks and John and Brian and everyone else for sponsoring Liftoff. All right, Stephen, it is time for our first official Liftoff guest. Are you ready? Yeah, it's a very exciting moment here at Liftoff uh, HQ. Uh, So our first guest is Rachel Binks, who is a data visualizer, developer, and designer who works at a place where many space-related things happen, Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, California. Hi, Rachel. Hello. Welcome to Liftoff. Thank you so much. I, the podcast will probably not lift off during the interview, but if it does, then uh, use a seatbelt, I guess. <laughs> um, so when I um, I saw you speak at XOXO in, in 2014, and you talked about lots of interesting things about data visualization and design, um, and there were uh, things related to like animations turned into lenticular uh, art, and uh, and really interesting sort of like map connections leading to shapes that led to like jewelry and things like that. Really cool stuff. Nothing really space related. So how is it that you have come to be an employee of the Jet Propulsion Lab working on space things? Um, That is an excellent question (laughs) and one that I sometimes ask myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So let's see. I've been in the, the sort of data visualization scene um, since about 2011 um, when I started work at Stamen and I don't know, there's sort of a group of us that like hang out on Twitter and go to conferences and, you know, send dumb jokes to each other online. <laughs> um, and that is how I met, um, Jesse Chris, um, 
who was sort of my Twitter buddy. And then at IO, um, two years ago, I saw him give a talk about his work at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And, uh, I don't know if Jesse's ever going to hear this, but like, I basically was like, Oh my God, that's my Twitter friend. And he works at NASA. What? <laughs> <laughs> so afterwards I walked up and I literally was like Twitter friend. And he's like, Hey, we should hang out. And I'm like, yeah, let's hang out. Um, so I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And um, and then I moved to um, Los Angeles, um, actually almost exactly a year ago. Um, and at that point, I was still kind of doing freelancey stuff. And, you know, at one point, Jesse's like, oh, do you want to come get a tour of JPL? I'm like, oh, my God, yes. Like, so show up there and, um, and like, you know, it's, at some point during the day, it dawns on me that, like, I'm there for an entire day and like you don't usually like casually tour somewhere for like an entire day, you know? So I was like, oh, I see what they're doing, but like <laughs> I don't want a job, you know, I'm this free spirit who like, you know, wants to sit in coffee shops and try to make rent, you know, I ugh, couldn't possibly have a day job. Um, but anyway, like basically we, you know, had this, we're sitting around having this conversation about, um, you know, like the, the state of data visualization. And I'm like, man, like, I don't trust these wild chart types. Like they don't actually make sense to most people. And like, it's all flashy for show. And he's like, oh yes, I agree so much. Oh. And like, you know, we're just kind of, kind of shooting. The and so anyway, you know, like a couple of months later, I'm, I'm up in San Francisco and I'm interviewing at a company. Cause I've like you know, decided that I need to actually have a job again for my sanity. Um, and then he like DMs me and he's like, what are you doing in San Francisco? I'm like, oh, you know, I'm interviewing. He's like, hmm, can I call you in two days? And I was like, sure. You know, I'm like, Ugh, I don't want a job, you know. And then I like get on the phone and he's like, hey, so how about like data visualization for spacecrafts? God damn it. <laughs> when do I start? <laughs> they're, yeah, they're like, say, you know, we know who needs uh, to solve problems involving visualizing data. Jet Propulsion <laughs> Lab. Oh, really? You don't say. Yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, well, uh, so so it's, uh, I, I'm curious. So you're, you are doing, maybe I can ask you a little bit about what the what the stuff is that you're, that, yeah, you, yeah, that yeah. you're working on. Because I, I know data, we've been talking about data visualization, which is this big uh, big idea, and 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 in the end, it's like how do you visually impart information that is probably too complicated uh, for our brains to process as a, just a list of numbers. You want to see it, but how, you know that that's your background. I'm mm -hmm. curious how you know what are the problems that you've had to deal with um, at, at NASA, and that's a, that's a big thing. I'm just so if you could talk a little bit about what you're working on, and 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 maybe an example of the kind of problems that you've had to deal with. Yeah, definitely. Um, so basically, I'm working on a um, telemetry uh, viewing and analysis web application. Um, so basically, the data that's coming back from these spacecrafts, um, there's a lot of it, and existing tools are kind of slow and clunky. And, you know, to like even pull up, um, you know, a graph of something, it might take a couple minutes to run the query. Um, and basically, um, Elasticsearch came to JPL um, as a kind of experiment um, for uh, for MSL, uh, Curiosity Rover, and SMAP, an Earth orbiter. Um, and with Elasticsearch, you're able to do these really fast queries and pull up um, 
you know, downsampled but feature preserving, uh, you know, sets of points, which then, you know, if you can pull up the data quickly, then you can visualize it quickly. And then people get super excited to like see their data, um, showing up on the screen quickly and, you know, actually being responsive and easy to explore. So has it, has it been that it's just, uh, there's, there's a, the impression I get, um, is that there's a, just a huge amount of data that comes back from these spacecraft and oftentimes from a lot of different instruments and in different formats and in different systems so mm-hmm, the people mm-hmm. who work on this stuff in general there is it just very hard for them to get the get the picture and, and and of of what's going on because there's just so much um yes definitely um i guess i guess it would make sense for me to explain what telemetry actually looks like um because I, I know when I first started, I was like, oh, it must be all over the place and, you know, so many different things. And it, it is really just like two main formats that we work with. Um, but you can impart a lot of information um, into these formats. So um, so the first one are these uh, channels, which are basically a time series floating point, you know, so stream of numbers. So you could think it's like the temperature of a certain subsystem or like the torque of a motor. Um, and then you can also start encoding information into like states. And so if something is on or off, you could encode that as like a string of zeros or a string of ones. Um, and then these states can get pretty complicated. So like, you know, for Cassini, if it's like, you know, about to take a picture, taking a picture, after taking the picture, about to send the picture to Earth, sending the picture to Earth. Like those are all certain states, you know, that you would encode as, you know, zero to I think four. Um, so basically that's that's channels. Um, so time series data. And then the second are these EVRs, event records, and those are basically logs. Um, so, you know, if a sequence starts, if a sequence completes, um, if there's a warning, if something's, you know, running a little hot, if there's an activity spike. Um, so that's basically, you know, like a print statement um, with a timestamp and then a category. Um, so you really just have like, you know, streams of numbers and then words with a timestamp. Um, and that's pretty much everything. And are they are they all essentially logs where they're, uh, I would imagine that most of these craft, do some of them report in real time or are they batching things up and then sending you just a whole list of like, here's what happened in the last two hours? Yeah, totally. Um, so it varies by craft. Um, so like SMAP is an Earth orbiter and is in basically constant contact uh, with the Earth. And uh, Curiosity, I think, sends data every like four to six hours. It hmm. sort of depends on like when it can beam it up to the um, the Mars orbiter and then beam it to um, Earth and then with the deep space network, the DSN, um, to pick up the data. Um, and then other, like I think Cassini, I think it works for Cassini, but like, they basically scheduled time on the DSN to be receiving and then, you know, calculate in batches when to send over data. Um, but yeah, the volume can... Uh, differ considerably between these different missions. Um, for reference, Voyager, which launched in 1977, has under 100 channels, um, and most of them haven't changed a value in over three years because um, it's basically like pointed at a direction and just going. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cassini launched in 97. Cassini has a couple thousand channels, but Cassini, well, and Voyager don't have EVRs. Um, because they're too old. So all of your analysis is done on the channels. Um, and then Dawn, uh, which is around the, uh, headed towards the asteroid belt, um, was launched in 07 and they have about a hundred EVRs a week. Um, so they're, you know, very selective in like what's being logged and, you know, they basically want to be able to see those at all time. Um, 
And then SMAP and MSL have about 30,000 EVRs a day. Uh, so you, you, I mean, talk about, we talk in the computer industry, uh, we talk about, you know, oh boy, I got to deal with this hardware that was made three years ago and all that. But you were you dealing with uh, data formats and hardware that date back with Voyager date back to the mid seventies, yeah, all yeah, the way yeah. up, all the way up to relatively recent, and they're all. I, I would imagine some there are some similarities, but there's just such a huge difference in what their capabilities must be. Definitely, yeah, and I mean these take a while to build. So like you know even Cassini, you know it launched in ninety seven, but like there's hardware pieces from the seventies on there. So yeah, like it, it's ridiculous that like you know you have to um, be working with. I don't know. It just takes so long to get to space, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a quick second break and thank our next sponsor, ISS Finder. ISS Finder is a free app for the iPhone and iPad that helps you find the International Space Station in the night sky. This is much more advanced and mature. <clears throat> this is the much more advanced and mature version of NASA's Spot the Station website right on your device. The app predicts passes for the next 10 days and tells you everything you need to know about how to see them. The app tells you the time, altitude, cardinal direction, and duration of the pass so you know exactly where to look. ISS Finder gives each pass a star rating to let you know how easy to see it will be, which I think is, is really pretty neat. When you find a pass that you want to see, all you have to do is tap the alarm button and the app will send you a notification five minutes before the space station flies over. With the new version, you can now tell ISS Finder what kind of passes you want to see and what time of day it's okay to notify you. And ISS Finder will set the alarms for you, right on your Apple Watch even. ISS Finder doesn't just help you see the station, it also helps you learn about it. With the dedicated crew section of the app, you can learn about the astronauts on the station right now and see some of the amazing pictures that they're taking. You can also see things like upcoming cruise schedule and more. I guess they're going to have to add a thing where they tell you what movies they're watching now, too. It's yeah, a whole, whole, <laughs> whole little movie section. Um, check it out. You can uh, find it uh, in the App Store or go to issfinder.com slash app. And uh, it's really, really a, a great way to see where the, the station is going to be and, and be able to catch it as, as frequently as possible. So thanks to them for supporting this episode of Liftoff and uh, all of Relay FM. So, so you have all this this data coming coming into you, coming into your group. Um, mm-hmm. What's sort of the next step if you think about um, kind of the next step in line of the data comes in? What what happens to that data? Kind of who are the clients for that data? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the the use cases kind of vary by mission, um, at least for the the product that we're working on. Um, and a lot of that is just on how how far along the missions are. Um, both Dawn and Cassini um, are sort of ending their mission, um, and so they mostly want this um, as a, a resource to make their data available for future missions. Um, Cassini specifically. Um, Dawn, you know, they came to us, they said, okay, so we have a weekly meeting where we look at a couple hundred graphs to make sure that everything's okay. Um, but the query takes over 24 hours to generate those graphs. Like, do you think you could help us? And we're like, well, yeah, like, <laughs> like of course, it's going to take a couple seconds to generate these now. Um, you know, which is really exciting, but that's still a pretty, you know, kind of static and low level analyses. Um, for MSL and SMAP, uh, they, they have their kind of like situa- situational awareness um, kind of down pat, like they have their processes, but um, they primarily use our 
uh, are stuff for anomaly detection. Um, so when something does go wrong, when they get a warning EBR or they see a channel that, you know, spiked out of its acceptable range of values, um, then they're using our tool to kind of, um, pull up different data and, you know, quickly be able to, um, compare them and, you know, overlay different types of data on top of each other and, and figure out what went wrong. So this data is, is is really being used to inform decisions in addition to, I guess, there's an archival aspect as well where something may not be important now but could prove to be important later. Is that sort of a situation you guys find yourselves in? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Cassini's main, um, I guess, main vision for this is for Europa um, because Europa is going to be flying on the same path as Cassini. And so, that, you know, oh, like, what was your temperature when you were passing through the radiation belt? Um, so, like, those sorts of questions, they want their data to be accessible um, for future missions. You know, it's interesting looking over your your career and, and XOXO talk and all the stuff Jason mentioned. Um, this is, a, a in a way, a, a pretty big break, at least in, in subject matter. You know, um, were you always interested in, in sort of the, the space and scientific angle to things? Is it something that you... Uh, like Jason and I have talked about, you know, as kids, you know, having, instead of having posters of cars, having posters of the solar system in our room. Were you that kid? <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've always loved space. I, in, in college, I studied um, math and art history because um, I was, you know, just fascinated in both of those subjects. But I, I just remember like sort of the dream engineering, but I don't know. I really liked the whole visual side of things and like design. And I just, I couldn't, bear to only have one major, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, this is this like incredibly lucky break to kind of um, be able to approach, um, you know, the space industry from a different perspective. And um, I don't know, it's, it's really fun um, because I'm basically working directly like with the operators and with the engineers that are uh, making sure that these spacecrafts, you know, continue functioning well. Um, and so I get to learn, you know, on several different missions, like how these kind of work and what their data profile is like. And, you know, if, if I did go the full engineer route, I'd probably be on, you know, one single mission for many, many years. So in some ways, you know, I've really <laughs> lucked out <laughs> going this route. Yeah, you get to hop around. Mm -hmm. Although that means that you've got a lot of different clients. I'm curious about the way the, the project works. You've talked about the tool that you're building. Are, are you, are, you know, that makes it sound more like there is a big project to do better data, data visualization and get all the data from all the different projects in sort of in in shape and in a in a way that it can be visualized is is that accurate as opposed to doing like little one off things where you're going over and helping these people and then going over here and helping these people um yeah well i i think that's um that's sort of a difference between um you know sort of the internal team vision and then how we get to talk about it to other people um because there definitely is this goal to be building, you know, this multi-mission, fully extensible um, application that, you know, any mission could use right now or any future mission could pick up and use as part of their, you know, day-to-day -day process. Um, at the moment, though, we do have four four missions as our clients. Um, and it, it's kind of funny, like the the operator's like they really don't want to deal with other missions. So you kind of have to be like, oh no, like only for you. It's just for you. Yeah. <laughs> You're my favorite. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> and like almost to the point, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Like it's some, you know, at times I've been like, oh, well, let me show you this feature that I've added, you know, 
oops, I have it loaded on this other mission. Is it okay if we just look at their data so I can show you the functionality? And they're like, well, I mean, could you please switch it to my data? Our data is special. Don't you understand? Yeah. And I brought this up with like, you know, my manager and he's like, look, these people are basically in a monogamous relationship with their spacecraft and like they don't want to cheat by looking at other missions data, you know? <laughs> for like for like decades in some cases. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but they don't speak the language of other sensors or whatever. It doesn't. Have you ever had to do um have you ever had to do like emergency data visualization? I'm trying to do 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 we need we have a data visualization need immediately. But I I mean sometimes you have these pretty intense moments with these spacecraft where even though they've been planned out for a decade or or two decades, there are moments where um like we we were talking about with New Horizons having the moment where it went into safe mode and everybody's mm. like, "Oh my god, what's going on?" Have you have had those situations come up at, at at JPL where where you suddenly you know, it's not like, yeah, it's easy going more in space. It'll take a long time. <laughs> um, I mean, they have come up. Um, I don't know if they were using our tool specifically. Um, I mean, I guess the thing about this is that, like, on each of these missions, there's, you know, 50 to several hundred people that mm. work on it. Um, and they're all responsible for keeping, you know, their little piece of it functional. And so everyone has their own, you know, set of tools and process for dealing with it. So, you know, in the event of an actual emergency, I think people are going to, you know, revert to the thing that they actually know. Uh, and um, I see. So your 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 goal here is just to provide them with better tools over the long run. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I. I have I have heard stories of, you know, things that went wrong and people using the tool to like, you know, quickly diagnose it. Um and you know, so so that's good. But like I mean the other thing is that like, you know, something actually going wrong, like I think I know of one of them since I started in January. So, you know, <laughs> they're sort of These are all well planned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I kind of like to think about it like the best analogy that I've come up with is like, what if you could only afford a computer every ten years? And then, you know, can you imagine like your little laptop, like how careful you would be, you know, you would like not ever let it leave your house. You would, you know, only have beverages like in a different room. <laughs> um, you know, when Chrome is like, oh, I'm using a lot of CPU, you'd be like, no, 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 shut that down. Um, like you would just be so careful about it because you had to make it last for 10 years. Right. And so I sort of, you know, I think about it, you know, when people are like, oh, it's an example of like an anomaly that people detect. I'm like, oh, well, like you know, this temperature was, was trending upwards and it wasn't a problem, but if it had continued trending or, you know, kept going long enough regularly without being noticed, it could have been a problem, but it wasn't. <laughs> like, woo success. And, you know, people are like, oh, it's kind of boring. I'm like, yes, that's the point. Like, it has to be, you know, we have to be doing the most minute fine tuning of it to, like, keep them functioning. Because, like, once they're in space, like, we can't get them right. back, you know, like... <laughs> They're just gone. <laughs> you can't swing by the garage on the way out, and I, and I guess that 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 uh, kind of constrains what your uh, what your challenges are in terms of visualizing this stuff. Is you're not looking for the blinking red alert light, right? You're you're just trying to find uh, ways to show what what the trends are and and things like that that might seem kind of boring, but to the people running the tools, it means I, I'd imagine it means everything to them, right? Like you said, they, they've invested. You know, they're they're in this monogamous relationship that the, the slightest difference is something that they want to see. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I was just being shown something on curiosity that, you know, like every every 300 sols, there's like a slight variance in like, you know, how this one sensor was reporting data. 
And like, it's one of those things that like, if left unchecked, like could eventually be a hardware failure. But like now that they know about it, you know, they can make sure that, you know, whatever was causing it, they like don't do that anymore. So like, that's crazy to think of like, you know, oh, I've seen this 300 days ago. Okay. You know, keep that in mind. This is the third time we've seen it now. Like, let's go fix the problem. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's kind of ridiculous. Like the, the level of, of detail that, you know, people have to bring to these analyses. Yeah, you've got a whole, uh, a whole team of people who know it's, it's like saying, I know that the, the, my, uh, my car, you know, that this knob is rattly. And if you're taking it from second to third gear at a certain dist, I mean, right. Like if you really know a machine yeah, yeah. well, you know, all the quirks of it. And there's a whole team of totally. people who have known this machine for a decade and they know every little thing about it. That's- yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have like a team of 500 people that are like, well, that little like rattly knob, like, are you sure that's not going to rattle off some <laughs> right. or You have to be like, well, okay, like, here's why I think it's totally fine and like justified. And if you're wrong, you know, and then you have to like, go to Congress and be like, well, the rattly lo- the knob, like, I thought it was going to be fine and then it wasn't. I'm really sorry. And- so instead, you come up with a plan to minimize the use of the knob so that you don't rattle it more than it needs to be rattled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy stuff. Oh, we've, we've spoken a lot on on the show about the the future we have obviously uh mars and our and our sites and a bunch of other stuff going on what uh what to you rachel is exciting about uh, the future of of spacecraft and, and human spaceflight and do you think that with new technology um do you see any big breakthroughs coming in your field that that could really change the game uh interesting um i'm pretty excited about um the uh, the moon that Cassini just kind of realized had like a liquid, um, what is it like an ocean basically? Like oh, is that is that Enceladus? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Name I that mean, moon. That's Yay! pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, just from like a you know possibility of life um, within our own solar system, like that's pretty exciting. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm watching the whole like, you know, Mars colonization debate with like this morbid fascination. Like, I think it's kind of a terrible idea, but um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's people that want it and I'm sure that there will be, you know, either governments or corporations that also want it. So I'm sure it'll happen at some point. Um, it just sounds like a really terrible time. <laughs> I uh, what, what do you... Um... What about your own personal kind of future at JPL? What what kind of stuff are you excited about project-wise? Like, uh, are there, what are the opportunities you've got to make the lives of the people there better with the work that you're doing? Um, that is a good question. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty focused on my project right now. Um, it's called Vortex, okay. by the way, if you want to know the name. Um, and I think... So, I mean, it's exciting because we've, we've gotten, you know, these missions to sign on for it and we have funding, um, at least for one more year, possibly multiple after that. Um, and Vortex is the, da- is the, is the tool that you're building. It's the data visualization mm-hmm. tool that, that everybody can use, but it's very personalized for whoever you are. <laughs> very personalized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So I think like, um, at least short term, I'll, be continuing to focus on that. But I mean, there's certainly, there's a lot of like mission specific or even subsystem specific, um, you know, visualizations or dashboards, um, that people want. Um, 
I don't know. It's it's kind of adorable. It's like everyone's like discovered visualization recently and is like, oh my gosh, we all got to make a dashboard. Um, so there are, I mean, it's fascinating because uh, most of these tools are being built by the flight software engineers. Um, so someone who's responsible for making sure that like the spacecraft continues functioning well has like in their, you know, free time taught themselves JavaScript and then has been making visualization tools for their team. Um, so there's, there's some, there's some possibility of maybe like me, you know, basically like contracting out and like helping make tools, you know, for very specific problems. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. I'm pretty, pretty stoked on Vortex for the moment. I, I would imagine, it's funny you mentioned that, um, I would imagine, given that you've got a, a whole group of incredibly smart technical people there, that there are probably lots of just crazy homegrown tools that people have built because somebody, you know, you need, I, I, I used to do this um, and, you know, I was just a, a magazine editor, but I, I used to build crazy tools because nobody would ever fund me, you know, having somebody build the tool for me. So I would just build it and then it would be this weird you know, ramshackle one-off tool, but hey, it was it was mine, and I got to use it. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine the JPL is probably full of those kinds of like single one-off projects by somebody who just wanted to build something that they needed. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the whole the whole reason that my project came about is because there was um there's this dashboard called Smap Dash for Smap, um, and it was basically you know this one guy who had like taking it upon himself to build, you know, this entire application for analyzing uh, the spacecraft and, you know, broke it out by subsystem and like each subsystem gets there with a little table of data points and graphs and where the EVRs are and, you know, like all this really great work. Um, the problem is that if anyone wanted something changed, they had to, you know, find this guy and like track him down and like beg for him to like, you know, update the hand coded graphs. Um, yeah, so my project came out of like, okay, what if anyone could make their own graph and, you know, not have to bug these people who are, you know, making the dashboards? Um, so I don't know, that, that's been really fun. It's it's also like the first um, project that I've worked on in sort of, um, I don't know, like building tools for people to make their own visualizations. So, so it's like, yeah, do you, you, yeah, you're, instead of just building the visualizations, you're building the tools so they can, you know, they can build what they need. Yeah, exactly. So instead of like, you know, oh, you're in this subsystem, therefore you get these four graphs, you know, good luck. Um, it's like, okay, yeah, like here's the text box. You should enter whatever channel you want. Oh, you want to like graph them together on the same axes? That's cool. Oh, you want to like overlay some other stuff on top of it? Like, yeah, go for it. Um, so I don't know. It's supposed to be, you know, this very giving tool, I guess, that's um, flexible to whatever types of analyses you would need to see um, with these data types. That's cool. It is cool. And it, it makes a lot of sense if, if you could give those tools to people where they can not only be less dependent on like a central resource, like we've all worked someplace, like you said, with like you have to go find like the one guy who knows how it's held together. Mm -hmm. um, but I would imagine too that would give greater flexibility and, and the ability to sort of investigate and problem solve off on their own if they can just dig into the, the data and visualize it uh, independently. It seems like it'd be a a real boon for productivity and, and exploration really into their own craft. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It's, it's so wonderful just like kind of seeing the joy of people when I'm like, Oh, did you know that there's this tool that can just like pull up this graph really quick? And they're like, what? 
I'm like, yeah, and we can go look at this other data super fast. Oh, you want to filter it by time? No worries. Let me go do that. They're like, what? <laughs> it's really great. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on Liftoff and, and being our first guest. It was uh, yeah, thank I'm, you. I'm so glad uh, that we had you, and uh, and I'm glad you could come. And it was awesome. Uh, and I, data, I, like I said, it blew me away that I was like, oh, Rachel Pings, I saw her there, but it wasn't <laughs> about space. Now it's space, and it was a great, it was a great moment. And it's really cool to see this. This is the from the outside to to look at this and be like, of course there's a lot of data and people want to visualize it better who are working on these projects. So it's cool to hear uh, what happens on the inside. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. So uh, I think that about uh, wraps it up for this week, Jason. Yeah. That was great. We we did our first interview. We did some follow up. Uh, Rachel Binks, uh, you know, I'm so happy that she agreed to be on. We're going to do, we're going to do some more interviews. We've got, you know, some, I got some people, I got a list. Um, and uh, I think that's going to be a fun, uh, part of of liftoff to be able to talk to people who are are working in space well you know not necessarily in space but you know in space <laughs> in space yeah um so you can be sure to check out the show notes uh, you can find them in your podcast app of choice or on our website uh, relay.fm slash liftoff slash four and uh, a bunch of stuff to what rachel's up to in addition to the stuff that we spoke about before um, go check that out. You can get in touch with us in the website as well. Um, or you can uh, find us on Twitter. Jason is Jay Snell, and I am ISMH on Twitter. And uh, until uh, next time, Jason. Uh, you can find us both. Oh, yeah. At Liftoff Podcast. <sighs> Good call. <gasps> yes, until next time when we will hopefully have watched The Martian and uh, can talk about it. So thanks, everybody. We'll see you in a fortnight. <laughs>